Hi and welcome. We're so excited that you chose to join us today. And we hope that this message will inspire you to live the life that God designed you to live. For this message or others like it, you can go to our website or you can find us on our YouTube channel. Now sit back, relax, enjoy this message. It will only be in this service. So ages five and under, though, will meet in their Little Sparks and Superchargers classroom. Um, uh, if you came a little later, we did announce a new class that we're beginning called Short Circuits. So we're going to be putting the supercharger age group, age three to five-year-olds, in two separate groups now. And so we're excited to um, narrow that classroom down a little bit so we can hone in on some of those kids and, and be able to minister to them more effectively. And so just want to welcome Seth to come. Um, you may know him as... Uh, uh, you know of uh, Bill Johnson, Pastor Bill Johnson in Redding, California at Bethel Church. Um, for years, Seth was a children's pastor there, and so we just want to welcome him, and thank you so much for coming. Thank you. How are you guys doing? Are you awake? Okay, good. I'm more awake now. I searched the whole house. I'm staying at a lake house over there. I searched the whole house for coffee. There was no coffee, so I texted Ryan. I said, can we grab a coffee? He said, we can make you one. So now I'm really ready. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so can you guys just, well, let me just tell you this. Oh, I'll wait. I'll save it. Um, can I ask you, how many of you work with the kids and how many of you who works with the kids here? Okay, good. All right, how many of you don't? You're just a parent or whatever. Just a parent. You have the most important job ever, the hardest job, best job, all of it at the same time. Okay, because <clears throat> we're going to talk about children's ministry, but, yeah. I think what I want to do is have a little bit of Q&A, too, if we get there. Sometimes, just so you know, Sometimes my best messages come from the right question at the right time. It's like, oh, it's not a one-minute answer. It turns into a, oh, that's exactly what everyone needed was that. You know, you, sometimes we ask a question. It's like everybody's asking that very question. Someone just needed to verbalize it, and it really helps um, just make the whole session go according to where you're really at. Does that make sense? Yeah, no? Okay. You guys can talk back to me a little bit. I like it. I tried to tell the kids last night, like, please talk to me. Helps me know um, how we're doing. <clears throat> so when, when it comes to children's ministry, so I, you know, I did four years in New York City um, working with kids. We had 20,000 kids a week, every week, 20,000 kids. At Christmas, 60,000 kids. Two weeks in a row. Crazy, ridiculous numbers. We would pull our, we had 17 trucks that have, that the whole side of the truck flipped into a stage, and we would drive the truck right up near a school, right before a school got out. We'd park it. We had permits and everything. We'd park it. We'd flip down the stage. We'd put out these tarps. We'd go to the school. We'd pass out flyers, and we would just, I mean, we could have 400 kids in New York City like that in a moment. 500 kids, 300 kids 
all, and we had 17 of these trucks doing 17 services simultaneously all throughout Bronx, Queens, Manhattan, Harlem, Coney Island, Brooklyn, all over the place. 20,000 kids. And then we'd do it in one spot, pack up, drive somewhere else, flip it down, and get all these, get hundreds more. We'd preach three times a day, five days a week. Crazy. Nuts. Just wild. Then I went from there to Bethel. I knew, I don't know if you know my story, I was on drugs. I was, I was the kid in church that grew up in Iowa, so right down the road. I was the kid in church in Iowa that I knew all the Bible stories. I knew everything. I memorized every verse. I, I knew the whole book. I just didn't know the author. And so somewhere along the lines, I went on drugs and really messed my life up. And Jesus came in instantly delivered me. I've never had a, I never had a relapse. I never had a a withdrawal. I never went to any treatment. I never went to anything. And I was doing sometimes three, $400 of drugs a day. That was actually 300 was probably average days where we would do a thousand dollars in drugs. No problem. Just stupid, ridiculous. But when God delivered me, I went almost immediately. I told God, I said, God, when I was sort of praying before he came in and delivered me. I said, if you help me get out of this, I will help kids not go down the path that I went down. And almost immediately, I'm in New York City working with these. It was, I have the most ridiculous, crazy story. It's awesome. I love it. It's my favorite story ever. And um, I'm in New York City. But I knew because of my testimony where I was instantly delivered from drugs and I spent four years working in the ghetto. It was all ghetto, all projects, all shelters, all broken families. No, no kids lived in a healthy home. Zero of the kids had a healthy home. Zero of the parents were healthy. It was like, it was such an intense ministry. We would have to like, I would go to the city to church to try to get around some sort of healthy type person you know, does that make sense like we were in the ghetto ghetto it's like third world country in new york city some of the housing stuff like that so but i knew working there like like there's more like i because of my story i'm like there's there's something to, god has more than what i'm seeing there's power available there's like i know god can deliver drug addicts in a moment because I was delivered in a moment. So I knew I wanted to go to a school, and that's how I ended up at Bethel. And when I got to Bethel, I realized really quick, like, oh, gosh, I've spent the last four years in children's ministry trying to help children not go down the path that I went down and saying, like, hey, don't do drugs. Hey, make better decisions. Hey, don't sin. Hey, you don't want to end up like everyone else over here. Hey, Make good decisions for your life. And I, I thought the path I didn't want kids to go down was like the drugs and all the other stuff that comes with, you know what I'm saying? Like drugs are never the only problem. There's always a multitude of problems with that lifestyle, that world. That world is filled with everything bad. And so I get to Bethel and I realize like, oh my gosh, Drugs were never the real problem. All the other stuff was never the real problem. Those are just branches and roots of the real problem. The real problem was I grew up in church my whole life, and I did not really know God. 
I didn't even think he was real. Are you with me? In the Bible, Judges 2, verse 10 and 11 says, A generation arose that did not know God nor his works, so they did evil in his sight and served the Baals. This is in the Bible. A whole generation arose that did not know God nor know his works. The word know is not know about. It's know by experience. These were the kids. These are the kids. This is Judges. So it's after Joshua where God said, hey, build memorial stones, stack up all those stones, pile them up. So when the kids ask, what are all those stones? You can say, oh, that one's when God brought us out of Egypt. Oh, that one's when God opened up the Red Sea. That, so you could tell your kids the story. So these were the kids that grew up and knew all about Moses. They just hadn't seen him. Are you with me? They didn't walk through the they didn't walk through on dry ground. They just heard about walking through on dry ground. They knew all about God. They didn't know God. A generation arose that walked away from God and served other gods, like the kids last night were like idols. I'm like, no, that's a good one. You're right. A generation arose. They ended up serving other gods. That is the failure of that generation, but it's a huge promise for us. What if we raise a whole generation that, that knows God by experience and his works by experience? Like, come on, you can never convince a child who's watched someone with brain cancer get healed. You can never tell them God doesn't heal. You can never tell them God's not real. You can never tell them God doesn't talk if this little kid's like, hey, the Lord showed me, and you're like, oh, man, whoa. Like, you can never tell them that. You can't argue them out of an experience because they weren't argued into it. It's our job as children's ministers well, and parents, period. It's our job, anything we do with kids. I finally realized my job is not just to get them to not avoid all these bad choices. My job is to get them to experience God, to encounter God, to see his works through their own prayers, through their own hands, to raise a generation that knows God by experience and his works. Why? So they'll do right in his sight and serve him. I said last night, if what happens in church doesn't happen in home, it's not Christianity. So Danny Silk preaches this very loud and clear. He says, if what happens with the adults doesn't happen with the kids, it's not a real culture. You're supposed to cut the church anywhere. You cut it in the youth ministry, it's supposed to have the same DNA as the adults. You cut the children's ministry, it's supposed to have the same DNA. You, wherever you cut it, it's the same on the inside. It might look a little different because the kids are playing games and the adults are all serious and worshiping. And the kids are like, wow, it might look different. But when you cut it open, it's like, oh, that's the same, that's the same, that's the same, that's the same. Danny says if what happens in the adults doesn't happen in the youth and the children, it's not a culture. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen in the seniors group. It's not a culture. It has to happen everywhere in order for it to be a culture. But it's also true if it's not happening outside the church, it's not a culture. It's a religion. And Jesus, the, only, the real thing Jesus did on the cross was destroy religion once and for all. Christianity is the only thing that destroys every religion. Sorry, I feel a little bit intense. I think it's the coffee. I sat down. 
I drank that coffee, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I could run 100 miles an hour right now. <clears throat> Are you guys here? Are you okay? I'm not trying to be upset. I'm not upset. This is my passion. This is what I have burnt for for 15 years. This is, like, this is why I'm on the planet is to help families, help kids, help get this out of the church, help the church get out of the church so it's really the church. And I don't mean go lead everybody to the Lord all the time. I don't mean that. I mean, this has to happen everywhere. This is not what we do. It's who we are. And I finally realized after all these, after four years of children's ministry, I realized, oh, my gosh, I have been leading. I've been trying to get kids not to go down this path, but I'm not even on the right path. The path is experience God. I don't want to raise kids who know the Bible only Yes, of course I want them to know the Bible. Yes, of course. I have a high value for the Bible. I read the Bible every day. I love the Bible. I can throw, I can pound you with scriptures. No problem. But sometimes the people who know the most scriptures and pound them out the hardest are the ones living in the most sin and the ones that hate everybody in the world and the ones who are attacking everybody. They don't look like Jesus at all. If you think about it, in the Bible, the people who knew the most scripture were the only ones who couldn't recognize him. The Pharisees had the whole thing memorized. The whole Bible memorized. Where's Levi what's Leviticus 5.14 say? They're like, there you go. I don't know what Leviticus 5.14 says. You can't, half the church, you can't even, where's Leviticus? And they're like, I don't know. In the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? We want our kids to know the Bible, but we also want them to know the author. Are you with me? So now I get to Bethel, and I take a whole year. Like, I take a whole year. Like, I cannot do any ministry. I have done three times a day, five days a week, 20,000 kids. Of course, I wasn't speaking to 20,000 kids. About the top was 1,000. So I'd have 1,000 kids in one spot. I was one of the main teachers. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. We had 1,000 kids in one room. Can you imagine? It's so intense and awesome, amazing. We learned all the – we had so much we – we were the best in the world. Actually, Charisma Magazine said that ministry, Metro Ministries, is the most reproducible ministry in the world. I've gone to Africa and done it. I've gone to Asia and done it. Now we do the same stuff in the undocumented. Like, we've just led 700 people to the Lord in the last month and a half because we're taking those um, – that structure and putting it into the undocumented families in California. You know, all the people that snuck across the border and now everything's all crazy and hectic and all this stuff. And it's like, we're not doing any political stuff right now. There are a lot of kids. There are a lot of families. The kids are citizens of the United States. The parents probably aren't. They simply got across the border. They're working in these fields. They're working in these farms. And we're like, let's go reach. Let's go do big events. So I trained all these church planners. I trained a whole bunch of church planners. I took all my children's material. I'm on a rabbit trail, but it's okay. I took all my children's material and rewrote it for people who are going to plant churches and lead ministries. And I did a six-week course on church planting, church leading a church, the core things you need to know about leading a church. So I told these guys, then we go do these big events with Cheon, who is 
Harvest International Ministries and HIM. It was his idea. I'm just on the team to help implement it. So we built this massive event where we bring hundreds of people and we give them toothbrushes and we give them food and we give them, they get, play games, they jump all around, they get their face painted, they do balloon animals, they do all this fun, we give away bikes, we give away air conditioners and then we bring them in and we preach the gospel and we've led 700 people at least to the Lord in the last month and a half and then as soon as the event's done, shoot, we plant churches the next week. So this is like we learned all these techniques. So this ministry, Metro Ministries, is the most reproducible ministry in the world. You could just take it right to the undocumented families. Boom, you will get them. You go to Africa, it will work. You go to Asia, it will work. You go to the cornfields, it will work. This ministry is the most re- We learned skills where it's like you could, we would have a thousand ghetto project kids. A thousand in one room. It was packed out crazy and and when we would get up there the techniques we used for managing a room were so good you could hear a pin drop on the carpet teachers would come to us and say how in the world do you get a thousand kids quiet we can't get 10 quiet how do you get a thousand kids quiet these are all the same ghetto children that we have in our class how do you get them quiet we would teach the schools how to do it how to manage a classroom Crazy stuff. We learned all these techniques. It's all reproducible. It's all amazing. But there's more. We could teach, we can have all the best techniques and teach all the Bible and teach all the stories and teach all the scriptures and have kids memorize the scriptures. But we gotta have them know know God. Sorry, I feel like I just went on a giant rabbit trail. And I wasn't planning to preach this much, but gonna. So I get to Bethel and I realize, oh, I was going to tell you. Children's ministries across the planet are built on two scriptures. Psalm, well, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child. You know this verse, right? Can you say it? Here, I'll just, that way I'm not the only one talking all the time like this. I feel like I am going 100 miles an hour. Sorry if I'm going too fast. I just, I love this. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a in the way, and when they're, can I just be totally honest? Totally honest. Most, most, most children's ministry are built on that verse. And this other one I'm going to show you. Most children's ministries are built on that verse. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. The only problem is most people interpret that verse to say, train up a child in all the ways they shouldn't go. And that's not what it says. And there's no promise on the bottom of that. The promise is only the promise when they are old, they will not depart. Now, please, I, I, please, I am so impressed that it's like, oh, gosh, we were little kids in church. We grew up, and we're still here. Like, this is amazing what you guys have. This is incredible what you guys have. This is awesome. It's like, wow, families have been here for 30-some years. And it's like Dave is like, my grandkids all come here. Like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it's beautiful. Like, there's a lot of kids that are growing up and not they're, they're getting old and not departing from him. Are you with me? 
But I'm just talking children's ministry. I'm talking things we need to know. Oftentimes, most, most places interpret that to be train up a child in the ways they shouldn't go. But there's no promise on the back. The promise is only attached to train up a child in the way they should go. Aiming kids at what we're here to do, what they're here to do, what they get to do. How many of you know, if you're really paying attention and focused on what you were born for and what you're here to do, and you wake up in the morning, you're like, I got to go do that. Guess what? You don't have to worry about getting a bunch of distractions in your life. Does that make sense? Think about it. For us as adults, like, I know exactly what I'm here to do. I wake up. I can't hardly sleep because I'm so pumped. I just wake up, and I start pursuing what I'm going after. I start doing what I was born to do. It's like, I don't have to worry about all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's like a horse with blinders. Like I don't even see the traffic all around me. I don't see the traffic because all I can see is where I'm going. You know what I mean? The other verse is Psalm 119. Eleven. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So here's what most people interpret that verse to say. Your word have I memorized in my mind that I might not sin against you. Completely different deal. That's where I was going. The Pharisees had the entire Bible memorized in their mind. Did they sin against God? Come on. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If his word is really in my heart, I will not live in sin. Sin is weird. Sin is abnormal. Sin is not normal for a believer. Like I said last night, sin is so sin is to the believer like crawling around is to a butterfly. It's so weird. Like butterfly, what, you have wings. What are you doing? Just flap them. Flap your wings. Get off the ground. Did you forget you had wings? It's like the frog. Remember that song? Bull frogs and butterflies. They both been. Bo- Do you remember that song from way back in the day? My friend actually wrote was on that album. Now he's my friend. He's my father. I love him. He, he helped sing that song, Bullfrogs and Butterflies. They've both been born again. But it's like a bullfrog. It's like, hey, bullfrog, you have legs, not a tail. Your tail is gone. You have legs. Why are you living in the water? You can go in the water if you want because you're still a bullfrog. But you can live on land. There's no bugs in the water like there is on land. Go get the bugs. Are you with me? Why are you searching around for all this stuff? That's what sin is like for the believer. It's super unnatural for the believer to sin. We are not fish swimming upstream. We're not trying to overcome Way too many of us believe that we're trying to overcome the nature to sin. It's natural for us to sin. If I believe I have God's nature, which is in the Bible, by his precious promises, he's made us partakers of the divine nature. That means what's natural for him is natural for us. 
if it's not something he would do, it's weird for us. Why? We're made in his image. Last night, everything I was talking about, last night, like, I didn't say this to the kids because it's a weird one to teach to the kids. It's hard to teach to the kids. It's hard to teach to adults. It's hard to explain it to adults. But Galatians 2.20 says, we have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live. I am on a massive rabbit trail, but it's okay. I'm okay with chasing bunnies. We've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. Christ lives in us. That means Jesus didn't just die for us. He died as us. He killed us. Like I was saying last night, he died as the sinner. He became sin, so we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is really all important for parents and children's ministries all together because children's ministries are built on verses. Children's ministries, most of the place around the world are teaching half New Testament, no, 20% New Covenant, 80% Old Covenant, and everyone is super confused, and nobody knows what's really going on, and nobody knows how to really defeat sin or anything like that. But the Bible says Jesus didn't just die for us. He killed us. And he buried us in baptism, Romans 6. So when a person gets baptized, you fully bury the old life. And you come back out without any of it. And you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things are new. All. Look, I'm standing here in front of you. I never had a relapse. I never had rehab. I never had a a withdrawal. I never had anything. I snorted more cocaine than most people have ever seen. I used to eat five pills of ecstasy every single day. Snort them. I just snort ecstasy. I'm not supposed to have a brain that works. Does it look like it works okay? The old things have passed away. All things are new. We have to understand this. We have to communicate this. We have to teach this. We have to share this. We have to give this. We have the. We have to. It is not our job to like. Oh man, I feel like I could do this all day long. Look at this. Second Corinthians. Are you guys okay? Are you sure? Okay. Look at this. This Second Corinthians three six. This is so crazy. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, which we talked about last night, calling you names, giving you identities based on what you did, how will the ministry, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Okay, look at this. You have the ministry of death and the ministry of the spirit. You have the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness. Then you skip to verse to chapter 5 real fast, and you go into eight, verse 17. Therefore, if, are you guys with me? Can I just go? Can I, I'm just going to go. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so we have the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. That's not our ministry. 
and, it, and the ministry of death was written and engraved on stones. Man, I'm going to ramble. The ministry of death was written and engraved on stones. The Ten Commandments were the only thing written and engraved on stones. I love the Ten Commandments. I'm all about the Ten Commandments. But it's not our ministry. It's called the ministry of death. It's called the ministry of condemnation. You sin? Oh, sinner. Oh, you lie? Liar. It's all the stuff I was trying to explain last night. What's our ministry? The ministry of the Spirit. So if we are ministering the law, we are not ministering the Holy Spirit. If we're ministering condemnation, we're not ministering righteousness. We have the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. We're supposed to tell kids what Jesus did to them, not just what he did for them. Oh, what did he do for you? He died for your sins. Oh, what did he do to you? Oh, he killed you. You can't die to yourself. You're already dead. Why? Because if you die to yourself, if you succeed, then you're your savior. Look, Lord, I died to all my sins. I spent my whole life dying. Like, well, I already killed you, so you should have just been dead all along. Hello, hello. I'm going to preach the gospel to you because most kids, I'm not saying you aren't. I'm just saying when I've, I've gone all over the planet and I see it everywhere, most places aren't. Don't preach the real gospel. Here's, look, look at this. This is so crazy to me. Look at this. Now all things are of God who's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting sins against him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, so here, this is so packed full. This is so loaded. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, bring people to God. Bring people into an experience with God. Bring people to him. Reconcile them to him. Why? Because he's already reconciled to them. He's already like, here, you killed me, and I'm just waiting for my hug. Come on. Come on. Are you, are you with me? God is already reconciled to people. There's, the Bible says sin separates you from God. Most people preach it sin separates God from you. But if God has to avoid, has to stay away from sin, how in the world did Jesus come to the earth? See, Jesus, Jesus just breaks all the paradigms. Complete, he just shatters every single paradigm. Think about this. God can't be near sin. Well, then how did Jesus come to the earth? How? He can't be anywhere near sin. How did he come to the earth? And he's just like, hey, sinner. Oh, hi. Let's have lunch. Oh, come on. Let's have lunch. Oh, come on. Here, Zacchaeus, let's go to your house. I want to come eat lunch with you. How did he go to the how did he come to the earth if he can't be near sin? No, Jesus blows it all out because he's like, you know what? Everyone has sinned, and here I am. I came to you. I didn't make you come to me. See, Adam and Eve sinned. Who's the one that hid? Them. Why? Because of shame. Because the kids last night were like, I feel ashamed. That's the stuff that makes you hide from your parents. 
because you feel ashamed. That's the stuff that makes people hide from the presence of God. Adam and Eve, God did not hide from them. God came looking for them. God came after them. They were hiding. Sin separated them from God. It didn't separate God from them. Peter, same thing. You denied Jesus three times. This is going to blow your head. He denies Jesus three times. And Jesus said, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Father. You remember that verse? It's a scary verse. Scary. Jesus himself said, if you deny me before people, I will deny you before my father, right? Man, and then Peter does it three times. What's Jesus supposed to do? Deny him before the father. What does Jesus actually do? Don't ask me how to explain this. I don't know. But Peter's like, well, great. I ruined that. I'm going fishing. Let's, I'm just going back to where I came from. I'm going back to what I did before I met him because I just ruined that whole thing. I ruined it completely. Oh, I messed up so bad. I'm going to just go do what I did before I ever met him. Jesus is dead. I don't. They didn't even know. They still didn't know he's supposed to come back to life. And who came looking for Peter? You know how many times Jesus was like, oh, make sure you tell Peter you saw me. Tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because poor Peter is like, I'm ruined. I'm messed. I'm done. And who's standing on the shore? He's like, hey, guys, put your nets on the other side. And he's like cooking breakfast. He's, feet, he's like preparing. He's like, God, he's like cooking breakfast for him. He's like, Psst, hey, cast your nets. They're like, who is that dude? Oh, maybe it's the Lord. They cast their nets. They catch all these fish. They're like freaking out. Peter's like, who is that? That's him. Peter like rips off all his clothes, jumps in the water, swims to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Peter did not repent and come to Jesus until he discovered Jesus had come to him. Man, I am on a massive rabbit trail. This stuff is really important. Our ministry is the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. We're supposed to tell kids what God did to them. You are not a sinner. You're a son. You are not a sinner. You're a saint. Well, I've done sins. I know. But he did something greater than all of them. He is the trump card. Think about this. I've been saying this for a while now. Think about this. If we preach the law, the Ten Commandments, the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death, if we preach that to kids, what happens if a kid actually succeeds in accomplishing it? They don't need a Savior. Here's another line just for fun. This is just for fun. This is from a guy in the 1400s. He wrote this. He was hundreds of years before his time. Actually, he was right on track, but we're hundreds of years behind. He said, if you're waiting to die to be set free from sin, you just crowned death as your Savior. Why? If you're waiting to die to be free from sin, you don't believe. He killed you. You died. Romans 6, 11 says, you must consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God. You how do you how are you supposed to think about life? I'm dead to sin. And alive to God. How are you supposed to think? I'm dead. I'm not dying to sin. I'm dead. 
Are you still with me? Sorry, I feel like I'm really just going off. It's not our job just to teach kids to memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is super important. Knowing the Bible, super important. But like I said before, the Pharisees knew the whole Bible and the word of God comes and stands right in front of them and they said, he's blaspheming God. No, he is God. He is, he is the word of God in flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity and you're trying to kill him. You're trying to kill the second person of the Trinity. Why? Because the Bible you have memorized is blinding you to who he really is. This is so crazy to me. In Mark chapter 5, there's a man who says he, he runs. He sees Jesus from far away, and he runs to Jesus, falls down, worships him, and calls him son of the most high. So at this time, everyone's wondering, who is that guy? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I don't know who Jesus is. No one really knows who he is. They're all trying to figure out. The whole place is trying to figure out who is Jesus. And this guy sees him, runs, falls down, worships him, and says, son of the most. He calls it out. He announces it to everyone. I know who he is. He's the son of the most high God. Now, what's so crazy is the person who ran, the guy who ran, You know where he ran from? The tombs. Because this was the man who they put in shackles and chains, and no chains could hold him. They couldn't contain. He's so demon-possessed, he'd rip apart chains. He's cutting himself. He's suicidal. He's totally schizophrenic. He lives in the graves. And when he sees Jesus, he runs and calls him son of the most high God. He announces, this guy is the one that when Jesus said, what's your name? He's like, legion, we are many, and Jesus is like, get out. They're like, please don't send us out. Send us to the pigs. Like, okay, fine. And they all go to the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff. This is that guy. So a man who is possessed by thousands of devils can recognize Jesus. And the man possessing thousands of scriptures can't. It is not our job to just make sure kids remember Scripture. It is our job to make sure kids take the Scripture and go right to Him. Are you with me? We can't be raising Pharisees. We have to raise kids. Man, all of that to say, now I'm going to get to my first thing I was actually going to tell you, is most people think children's ministry is babysitting. So it's like, okay, Ryan comes up here and says, we have a couple slots to serve in children's ministry. And most people, most people across the planet think, you want me to babysit and, and miss church. But kids' church is not child care. Kids' church is not babysitting. It's not. I love that we have everyone together on last night, tonight, tomorrow. I love that we have everyone together. Some, at Bethel, that just wasn't very realistic because there's like 9,000 people every week. It's just not realistic. 
in the ghetto, it wasn't realistic because the parents don't want to come to church until they start seeing their kids totally change, and then they want to come to church. But it's like, until then, it's like, please, just take my kids, babysit my kids for two hours, play with my kids, have fun with my kids, give my kids candy, they love it, and then send them home on the bus, and all of a sudden, like, that's awesome, but that's the reality. But it's so beautiful in a place like this where we have, you can actually put everyone together, and everyone can learn, and everyone can see. But like, most places think when the paper comes up, here, fill in your names if you want to serve in children's ministry or whatever, that most people think, you want me to babysit. No, we're not babysitting. In, in children's ministry, it's really important we have a why and a what. So what do you do? Oh, we play games. We have candy. We sing songs. We do hand motions. We do motions. We use object lessons, which hopefully I get to my object lesson for you. We do object lessons. We do skits. We do all this fun stuff. We have a bathroom break. We have all the same. The what, what do you do? That's what we do. It looks exactly the same as most of the churches or very, very close. It looks very similar to every other church on the face of the earth. What we do looks the same, but our why is not the same. I'm not playing games so we can just have fun. I'm playing games because as soon as we have fun together and we enjoy each other and we play, you start to open up your heart to receive from God. I'm not playing games just to get your energy out so you'll listen better. I'm playing games so we can connect because if we connect, your heart opens and now you're pulling on what I'm trying to give you. Are you with me? I'm not giving you candy to rot your teeth. I'm not giving you candy just to make you more hyper when I send you home with your parents. I'm not giving you candy. I'm giving you candy so I can teach you actually cause and effect thinking. If you talk during church, you don't get candy. If you listen during church, you do get candy. I want you to learn now when it's being quiet and winning candy, the cause and effect. Oh, there's consequences for my choices. Oh, there's consequences for the people I chose to sit next to, the people around me in my life. There's consequences for the friends I choose and the things I choose to do. There's good consequences if I make good choices and sit near certain people. There's bad consequences if I sit near other people and pick friends accordingly. Like, there's, there's consequences. I want kids to learn that. Why? Because it's really important to learn it when it's candy and being quiet than when it's drugs and guns. It looks the exact same on the outside, but the why is different. Why are you singing songs? Well, I'm not singing songs just to pass some time because the adult service is an hour and a half, and the kids' service, we need to go an hour and a half because the parents aren't going to come, so we need to kill some time. So let's do extra songs. We're not doing extra songs to kill time. We're doing extra songs because we want kids in the presence of Jesus. We want kids to encounter Jesus. And if we did 15 minutes of songs and the Holy Spirit is there, we might do an hour and a half of songs. Are you guys here? Hello, hello. If we do 15 minutes of songs, it's like, you know what? I don't know. Whatever reason, who knows? All right, let's just finish. Let's finish and go on with our plan. 
we're teaching these lessons. The lessons look similar to every other lesson in the world, except we're aiming at something different. Because why we're teaching this lesson is because we're aiming at an encounter with God, not just to remember what we told you. Not just to fill your heads. We want to fill your heart. I can't really read you guys. You are like so quiet. And like. Okay, good. I had so, I mean, I was in Europe. I love Europe so much. I'm in Europe and this guy comes up to me. And says, somebody told me that kids don't know enough to be friends with God. And I said, oh, that's backwards. Adults know too much to be friends with God. (coughs) Way too much. Why? Because they think you can earn friendship with God. And Jesus didn't make them earn it. He just announced it. I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends. I want you to know what I'm doing. I call you friends. This guy said... Kids don't know enough to be friends with God. Adults know too much to be friends with God. We're the ones that have to repent and become like a little child if we want to enter the kingdom. That is a big verse. Not, let, me just, let me just tell you, not all scripture is created equal. Not all of the Bible is written to us. The whole thing's written for us. But not all of it's written to us. Not all scripture is created equal now. The verses 5,000 years ago that used to be really, really big aren't as big as they were now, as they are now. Now there's other verses that have gotten much, they're not created equal. Man, come on. We have to repent and become like little children if we want to enter the kingdom. This is a this is a very, very large verse. That is a very big statement. How do you enter the kingdom? Don't be a grown up. Yeah, of course. Childishness. We want to train out of our kids. We want our kids mature. We want our kids responsible. We want our kids to pay their bills. We want our kids to make their bed. We want our kids to clean their room. We want My five-year-old makes his own lunches. He's been making them since he was four, and we wreck people all the time. Like I'm counseling parents all over the planet because we do parent coaching. I'm, I'm coaching these parents. I'm like, why are you still making your eight-year-old's lunch? I don't know. Can they make it? Like My four-year-old does. But aren't they going to make a mess? Yes, I want them to make a mess. Why? Because then they have to clean it up. And they learn. The more I have to clean up a mess is all based on how much of a mess I made. Maybe I shouldn't make a mess anymore. Maybe I should get better at my pe- Like my son has licked the whole counter clean of peanut butter and jelly. Why? Because he makes a big mess. But I'll tell you what, now he doesn't and he's only five. Here you go, buddy. Here's your, here's your little cloth. We want our kids to grow up and be responsible. I want my kids responsible with money. I want my kids responsible with relationships, friendships. I want my kids re- clean, my, making their beds, vacuuming the house, having a clean house, having a good life. I want them to be 
grown-ups in some ways, but never lose childlikeness. I want to train the childishness out of them, but protect the childlikeness. Why? Because all of us grew up, and he's, Jesus says, you have to repent and become childlike again if you want to enter the kingdom. That is huge. That's like really big. That's so big, it's up there with like God is love. You know what I'm saying? Like God is love is a massive verse. And most verses have to yield to that one. (laughs) Repent and become like little children if you want to enter the kingdom. That is a massive, massive, massive verse. So children's ministry is not just babysitting. It's not just child care. It's not just taking care of kids. No, children's ministry is where we actually get to be around the kids who have no problem entering the kingdom. They don't have to repent and become like kids. You're like, hey, God wants to talk to you. They're like, okay, how does he talk? Like this and 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 like this. And here's 48 languages that God will use to speak to you. And like, let's pick one and ask him to talk to us. Oh, I got this. Like, oh, he's talking to you. And adults are like, how do I know that was God? What if that was the devil? What if that was me? (laughs) Did you ask him to speak? Yes. Well, come on. If you said, good morning, Seth, how are you? It would be really rude if I just went. And we think that's how God is. God, will you tell me something? God, will you share something with me? And he's just like. Like he doesn't even say later, hold on. I, you know what I mean? Like it would be so rude. So we think we're better than him if we think that. If we think we ask God to talk and it might be 40 years before he talks to us or gives us the answer or tells us something, if we think it might be six months or, do you know what I'm saying? Now, I know there's times where God's like, hey, go do this and then I'll tell you what's next. Hey, leave your father's house, go to a place you do not know and when you get there, I'll start to explain things. Like, okay, well, he's only gonna tell you more as soon as you do what he told you to do in the first place. But when it comes to listening to God and hearing God's voice, we're the ones that think I talk to God and maybe he'll talk and maybe he won't, but we would never expect that from a human. But then we're like trying to tell people God is good. God is good, he just won't talk to you for six months if you ask him, if you address him. Something. You know what I'm saying? Like, No, no. We tell kids like, hey, if you ask God to speak to you, you're not allowed to think you made it up. Why? Because adults think they made it up all the time. Well, I asked God to talk, and before I even finished my question, I had all these ideas in my head, and, and I, but maybe that's just me making, no, 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 he's answering you before you even finish talking. That's in the Bible. Before they call, I will answer. Man, I am rabbit trailing all over the place. I don't know if we're going to get Q&A now because I'm just on a mission. We're not babysitting. We're in a world where these little kids have incredible access. They have automatic access to something we have to repent to get. 
and they can step right in. We are facilitating kids entering the kingdom, pulling things out of the kingdom, bringing heaven to earth. We are training up children in the way they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. We are doing some of the most important work in the world. What happens if we raise up healthy kids? We don't have to repair broken adults. We're creating a world with less broken adults. We are changing the church once and for all. If we do this well in the church when they're kids, the church looks completely different in 15 years. Why? Because you don't have to preach about stuff like forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why? Because when you were four, we taught you the power and the importance of forgiveness. And you've been walking in forgiveness your whole life. And so when people hurt you, you don't go into these spirals and need deliverance and need counseling. Why? Because we, we helped you stay close to the counselor your whole life. We're, you know what we're doing when we're doing children's church? We're changing the church. You know why the church has looked the exact same? Think about this. Think about this. Most pastors have to preach stuff to adults. Because, well, and there's a lot of reasons. People who never heard anything about the Lord, they come to church. They need to know some foundational stuff. But the people who grow up in church, like we can actually get it to a place where it's like, wait a second. How come all the young people are so healthy? How come all the young people are so healthy? How come we're not having to teach them? How come we can, how, why, why in the world can we just help facilitate their dreams to change the planet? Why are they so healthy? We're not talking about all the same stuff every other pastor is talking about. And we're actually just aiming at the world and how to help it. And the world is actually looking at us going like, how in the world do you have so many teenagers and none of them are suicidal? How in the world do you have so many young adults and none of them are lost and wandering and trying to figure out what they're doing? How come they all have direction for their life? How come they all have good relationships? How come they're all so good with money? How come they're all so forgiving and happy? How come they're all so joyful? Why are they so mentally healthy? How come none of your people are schizophrenic? How come none of your people are, are depressed? Because we raised up healthy kids. Are you with me? We are not babysitting. We're raising up healthy kids so we don't have to repair broken adults. And the broken adults we do repair are the ones that come from out there, not the ones that come from in here. Like, what if we raised a bunch of kids? What if we raised a generation of children who didn't need deliverance when they turned 25? And went to a school of ministry that helps them get delivered from all their stuff. You know why I'm aiming at parents so strong? And I'm not a perfect parent. And I've, I'm sure, of course, my kids are going to need some counseling for what I've done. I'm sure. <laughs> some counseling. But the goal is that we don't raise up kids who are like, my, the number one rule of counseling is daddy and mommy issues. What if we created the families that were so healthy our kids didn't need a whole bunch of deliverance because they're like, no, I actually see God clearly because my dad showed me a really good picture of God. Another rabbit trail. The first rule of inner healing, if you come for inner healing, the first rule is you see God the same way you see your parents. Some people it takes 10 years to get the face of their parents off the face of God. Because they're not looking at Jesus, they're looking at their dad. Are you with me? 
Like, oh, as soon as you forgive your dad, you start seeing God clearer. This is true for all of us, all of us, me included. So if we raise up healthy families and we raise up kids in the, in the church who are like exactly like you're talking about, um, Dad, hey, you're not really representing Jesus right now. Hey, Dad, actually, that's not the covenant we're in. Dad, actually, no, God's not going to strike them with lightning. Why? Because Jesus, that's not from God. Another rabbit trail. Oh, that earthquake is that earthquake is not God just punishing you for your sins. The only earthquake Jesus caused was the one when he died. And it didn't put living people into the grave, it actually shook the dead people back to life. And they walked around and appeared out in the public. Like, you've been dead for 20 years. Like, well, Jesus died, and I just raised from the dead, and here I am. I don't understand how this happened. I just shook right out of my tomb, and now here I am, alive. That's the weirdest, crazy. That's a new covenant earthquake caused by God himself. It shakes the dead people to life, not the living people to death. That's the Bible. I don't even have to explain that to you. That's right there. Jesus dies, the rock shake, the earth shakes, the rock splits, and the dead come out and show up in the city. That storm, that crazy hurricane is not from God. How do you know? Because the only hurricane-type things we have in the Bible, Jesus stopped them. He didn't cause them. And he rebuked them the exact same way in the Greek language that he rebukes devils. Because the word spirit and the word wind is the same word. He rebukes the wind the same way he would rebuke a spirit because in the spirit realm, it's the same. He's rebuking storms caused by devils, not storms caused by God. Otherwise, he's in direct opposition to what God is doing. And he's not in direct opposition to what God is doing. He is God. He only does what he sees the Father do. Man, that was, I just had a rabbit trail again. So we have little kids. They're like, uh, Dad, hey, I know you watched on the news that there's this crazy hurricane in the East Coast, and I know you said that God's just mad at the Carolinas, and so he's going to just wipe it off the face of the earth, and he's just mad, and he's grumbling. Um, God, wait, Dad, no, that's not, how God, that's not how God and Jesus is. You know what I'm saying? We're raising up so, such healthy kids. They help us be more healthy, and they, they see Jesus when they look at God. Man, I have been going off. Are you guys okay with this? Are you sure? This is really important. Like, I try to help people, children's ministries all over. I try to help them. Look, we need to know what covenant we're in. We need to know what side of the Bible we're in. We need to know that there is the new covenant hiding, hiding inside the Old Testament. And there is old covenant hiding inside the New Testament. So you can't just split the Bible right there at the New Testament and say, this is all for us. And that's not, you can't do that because a lot of this is for us. And so is a lot of this.
my goodness. All right. Something practical. Do we have to finish at a certain time? Because I'm sorry, I have been just letting it rip for so long. I'm not hungry yet, so. So I mentioned the ministry of righteousness. I didn't mention it. We talked about the ministry of righteousness. We have the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, and the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to communicate. That's what we're here to give the kids. Now, righteousness is super important. It's funny because me and Dave got in the truck last night to go to the house, and Dave is like, I was just listening to a sermon for adults on righteousness, and then you preach a sermon to kids on righteousness and make it so simple. I'm like, that's what we have to do is we have to take these big concepts. Most adults, when you say righteousness, and I have no clue what you're saying. Pastor knows this. Like we're, today we're going to teach on the righteousness of God. Like, this is a huge deal for adults. And then you try to teach that to kids. I'm like, wow, Lord, how do I explain that to kids? How do I teach that to kids? How do I show that to kids? That he, he took all your stuff and turned you into a different, oh, he turned you into a different person. That's righteousness. Are you with me? The ministry of righteousness is super important. We're going to get there in a second. But here's what Albert Einstein said. He said, if what you know, you cannot communicate to a four-year-old child, you don't know it. What does that really mean? That really means most people in the world have no idea what they're talking about. Why? Because they can't communicate it to a four-year-old. If a four-year-old looks at you and is like, I don't know what you're doing. What? If a four-year-old walks out confused, you don't know what you're talking about. So I'm going to show you how to make sure you can communicate to four-year-olds. Because in New York, this is all we did all the time. We, ne- like, we never stopped. It's one of the most important things about children's ministry I really feel is huge. But let's look at this. This is um, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Okay, so earlier I said we want kids who are mature, paying their bills, um, showing up for work on time, making their bed, cleaning their house, responsible with money, good relationship. We want kids who are mature in the things of the world and, and at the same time mature in the things of the kingdom. Most of the time when we become mature in the things of the world, that's when we have to repent and become like little children because we matured right out of child lightness. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. It makes sense to my heart. But this is saying, look, He's saying, you've come to need milk and not solid food. You can't, you don't have teeth, you can't chew meat, you can't eat anything other than milk. So in other words, he's saying, you're still immature, you're not old enough, you're not, you don't have enough teeth, you can't handle what I really want to give you, but I'm trying to, you have come to need milk and not solid food. You're like a baby who still needs milk. And then he says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. In the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So how do we create mature believers? The word of righteousness. You see that? We don't have the ministry of condemnation 
We have the ministry of righteousness. Why? Because then we raise mature believers. We raise kids. Like if you've been saved 40 years and you can't eat solid food, something's very unhealthy. Why did that kid, why is that kid 40 and has no teeth? Why is their esophagus and stomach not developed to actually eat this? Well, in the kingdom, it's because whether or not we are skilled in the word of righteousness. This is right here. What's our job to make sure we're teachers and not just babies? What's our job to make sure we're raising up kids who grow teeth and can eat, handle the, the really big stuff of the kingdom? How do we do that? We have to get more and more skilled in the word of righteousness. We have to communicate righteousness. We have to understand righteousness. We have to, that means we understand what Jesus did to us, not just what he did for us. Look, if Jesus became sin, so we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we're not in our righteousness, we're in his righteousness. Now, this is scary for a lot of people, but what that means is when we come to God, we are just as right with God as Jesus is. I know, sounds scary to, like, you mean to tell me I'm, I'm right with God like Jesus is right with God? Yes. But I, I don't care what you did. He doesn't care what you did. Why? He's not counting sins against you. That's the word of reconciliation. He's not counting sins against you. He's not keeping track of what you've done. He's keeping track of what Jesus has done. And he took what you did. He took who you were. He took all the stuff, and he killed it. And he said, here, now you're a new person. I killed you. I buried you. You got baptized just to, just to join with that. And when you come out of the water, you're not, you're not who you were, were before. That's the ministry of righteousness. That's the word of righteousness. That's the word of reconciliation. God's not mad. God's not keeping track of your sins. He's keeping track of what Jesus did. And now you are just as right with God as Jesus is. Okay? Let me just keep going. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So in other words, true discernment only belongs to the people who are skilled in the word of righteousness. If I don't understand righteousness, my discernment is off. If I don't look at people, if I can't look at you and go, you know what? I see righteousness. I see a daughter of God. I see a saint. I see a holy believer. I see righteousness in you. Why? Because I'm looking through Jesus, not through anything else. I'm looking through the cross. I'm looking from Jesus. I'm, all I can see is red. All I just see is red. It's washed everything whiter than, I just see you whiter than snow. I see you as righteous. If I can't do that, anything I try to discern is wrong. That's in here. We're not going to go there. We're just going to stay right here. Here's what I want to show you. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Practically, we want to communicate complicated things, things that are from an eternal world, things, well, they're not that complicated. They're just not natural. So 
we want to communicate invisible, eternal realities into kids who are four, five, six years old. And the best way to do it is object lessons. What is, what is, I think Paul wrote this. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, look, you recognize spiritual maturity by what people can eat. So a baby can't eat food. They only drink milk. So he's saying, hey, when you, when you learn righteousness, it's like you, it's like you grow teeth and then you can handle other stuff. But until then, you're just drinking milk. So he's using babies and milk and food to, as an object to explain spiritual maturity, to explain righteousness, to explain you, used, you should be teachers, but you're not, so i got to teach you all this stuff. He's using object lessons. Jesus did this all the time. He's like, hey, you're like a city on a hill. You can't be hidden. You know why he said that? Because they're walking down the street, and there's a city on a hill. And he's like, hey, that's like you. You're like a city on a hill. Hey, whoever lights a lamp, you know why he's saying like whoever lights a lamp, you don't put it under a bushel. You take the thing off so everyone in the house can see. You know why he's saying that? Because they probably just walked into a house and lit the lamp. Or they're in a dark room, but the lamp's going so they can all see clearly because someone's burning a lamp. He's like, hey, don't be, are you with me? Jesus used object lessons. The greatest teacher ever used object lessons Paul's using an object lesson here. Now, I want to push the object lesson even further. This is so good. I love object lessons. One of the things we use most with kids, I used to have a giant toilet in the, in the kids' church, and we used to have um, toilet paper there all the time. And one of the things we have a really high value for is for kids not to believe lies about God, about themselves, about their parents, about people, about the world. Not to believe lies. Why? Because if you believe lies, you're in agreement with the liar. Are you with me? If you believe truth, you're in agreement with Mr. Truth, Jesus. Right? So we would use toilet paper, and we'd say, like, we just want to flush the lies. So we'd have kids. They'd pull out toilet paper. They'd ask God, am I believing any lies about you? Oh, I believe you're really angry. Okay, so write that down. That's a lie. What's the truth? Well, God, you're not really angry. Because you're not keeping track of my sins. You are love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, so now I'm agreeing with the word of God, not just my feelings. So we use toilet paper. We have kids write down all these lies. My mom hates me. Why? Because she got mad. Mom doesn't hate you. Are you with me? But if a kid believes their mom hates them, that that's, turns really bad quick. If a kid believes God's really mad at them, that turns really bad really quick. So it's important for kids to learn and for us to lead them with the toilet paper. I should have brought toilet paper in, but I was going to go a different direction. But we, and they write it on the toilet paper, and then we would have them bring it up to the giant toilet. And the flusher of the giant toilet says truth. So they come up to the toilet. They have these lies that they've written down. I believe God's mad. I believe my mom hates me. Da-da. Well, that's not. So they come up. They put their lies into the toilet. And then they ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's the truth? Oh, you keep no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You are love. You, you don't remember my sins anymore. Oh, Hebrews 8, 12. You don't remember my sins anymore. Oh, that's it. My mom doesn't hate me. My mom actually loves me. She just gets nervous when I do crazy stuff. So she got mad at me because she's afraid. She's afraid that I'm going to kill myself, not because she hates me. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 
Oh, but if a kid thinks she hates him, that's, that's a whole different game than my mom actually cares. That's why she got mad. She cares so much. Okay, all right. Ah. So now they have the truth, and they flush it, and down goes, well, it was a giant toilet, so it didn't really flush, but the, the symbol was the same. Here's why we did that. We taught these object lessons on purpose. Why? Because toilet paper is what kids see every single day, at least once a day. And I want them to be at school and something hard is happening with the teacher. Something bad is going on on the playground with their friends. Something's happening. I want them to be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And they go in and they go right to the throne. And when they're at the throne of the Lord, they can look over and they see the toilet paper and they go, oh, God, Lord. They're in the privacy of the stall. And they say, oh, Lord, am I believing any lies about you? Oh, man, that's rough with my teacher. Am I believing any lies about myself? Am I believing I'm stupid because my teacher said that? Lord, I I need to get that lie off me. I use toilet paper because I want them every... I don't want to think, are you gonna remember what I taught you? I want to be confident. You'll never forget what I taught you because every day when you sit at the throne, you're gonna be reminded of what I taught you and you're gonna get yourself free from all this crap, crap. You're gonna get all this crap out of your life because I used an object lesson. Because I connected something invisible and eternal, and and I said, here, it's attainable for you, four-year-old. Here you go. Now you have it. And you're like, oh, I got to get the crap out of my life. Okay, here. Write it down and put it in the toilet. And then they go to flush. like, Holy Spirit, the bathroom can become for a child like a deliverance session with the wonderful counselor. I can create kids who don't need a whole bunch of counselors when they're older because they've been connected to the counselor every time they poop. I know it's fun. It's fun. It's funny. It's gross. It's awesome. Kids love it. But I'm communicating something so strong. Look, this is very important stuff. Why? Because Paul said, hey, babies, help us see. Oh, wow. Not a mature human yet. Why? Only drinks milk. And it's beautiful and wonderful, except if you're 40, 50. Something's wrong. He's telling them, hey, you're supposed to be teachers, but you're not. Why? Righteousness. Am I believing something about myself? I believe I'm dumb. Well, that's not the truth. I believe I'm a sinner because I messed up on my... I believe I'm... No, no, no. Get that out and ask for the truth and get rid of it. That's amazing. Now, I'll, here's, here's another one. This is my object lesson I'm actually going to use for you. This is also a picture of immaturity. This is a very good picture of immaturity. You can't wipe your own bum. You can't recognize when something bad is trying to get out of you, and so you just let it out. Can I just tell you? Paul's like, hey, you're supposed to be teachers, but you can't eat food. You need milk. I'm saying, I'm saying, hey, there's way too many Christians that are walking around, and they still need diapers. Way too many Christians. 
they're like, mm, I, I have a poopy. Can you fix, can you fix this for me? Can you fix this for me? I have a, I have a blowout. My shirt's, my shirt's dirty on front and back. I stink. I'm so stinky. Can you do something about this? This is important stuff. It's kind of funny, but this is important stuff. There's so many Christians who've been Christians for a long time, but they've never grown up. You know why? Because they don't understand what we're talking about here is that believing the truth about the Lord, about themselves, about people, about family, about the world, that believing truth, they don't understand it. So like rule number two of inner healing, rule number one is let's talk about your parents because as soon as we get forgiveness for your parents, you start to see God a lot clearer. Number two is people believe lies. And if you believe lies, you're all jacked up because you're in agreement with the liar. If you believe God doesn't like you, man, no, God doesn't like the devil. But most Christians have so many lies and so much garbage, they're walking around like this, and they can't get in, and they're just blown out, stinky. They're all stinky and funky. And how do you recognize maturity is the ability to say, oh, something just, there's, oh, man, something ain't right in here. I'm going to go handle it with the Lord. One of the signs of maturity is that people can actually deal with stuff with the Lord by themselves. It doesn't mean we don't need people. We need people. But if we only need people, something's not right. There are way too many people that are like, every week they're going for counseling because they don't know how to say, Lord, what's the truth? They don't know how to say, Lord, I forgive them. Lord, I forgive them. I release them. I love them. I'm not going to keep track of those things. Maybe I'll set a boundary so they don't just keep hurting me over and over, but I forgive them. I love them. They don't understand these foundational things, and so they're, they're all messed up, and they need counselors all the time. They're broken adults. They're broken adults who are like, where's your counseling ministry? Can I go to counseling? I was like, oh, it's free counseling because it's church, so I go to free counseling three times a week, but I'm really not getting any help because all I really want is people to clean me up for me because I never matured because I never learned I could actually go to God myself and get this stuff taken care of. I didn't learn that I don't actually need wipes and I don't need to depend on people all the time because I depend on him. I just wanted to show you that because this is a good object lesson. Can you imagine adults walking around with these on all the time? Well, in the spirit realm, many, many adults are. We're supposed to be teaching the, the two-year-olds how to not need this anymore, how to recognize. Oh, I recognize uh, something got to come out. 
I got to get it out. I'm going to go get it out. I'm going to go handle it, and I'm going to be done. Then we teach them how to wipe themselves so, they, so they're not dependent on us all the time. Why? So they mature. Why? So they grow. Why? So they can have good discernment. This is the same picture of righteousness. I'm trying to teach kids how righteous Jesus has made them so when they grow up, they're not walking around with a bunch of nonsense all over them, a bunch of lies and a bunch of stuff all over them, and they're like, they just need the pastor to come clean it up again and again and again and again because no one ever told them how to get mature no one ever potty trained them in the spirit realm and when you get potty trained in the spirit realm it comes from the word of righteousness it comes from righteousness like wow i am righteous that is a lie not the truth i will get rid of the lie and live in the truth I said all that to say, to wrap up, to preach my sermon, and at the same time to show you, I think object lessons are super important. I use the phone to explain our relationship with God all the time. I love it because kids love technology. I love technology. I'm a big fan of technology. And I'm like, look, when I grew up, I remember when, I'm going to give you one more object lesson. I remember when we had, before we even had the, um, the portable phone, the wireless phone. We had just a phone in the kitchen. We had a phone upstairs and a phone in the kitchen. And the phone in the kitchen had a really long cord, so you could take it off. You could walk over in the bathroom, shut the door, and actually have a phone conversation in private. But otherwise, you're having conversations out in the open. But we had a, we, oh, we had a phone that was stuck to the wall, and so you had to be in a certain place, and you, had to, and you could only talk. You could only communicate through talking, and you had to be in a certain place to do it. Back then, that's how the world believed their relationship with God was. You have to have your relationship with God in a certain place, and you can only talk and listen. Are you with me? And then we got these portable phones, and we started to realize, oh, I can walk out to the garage and still have a phone call. Oh, I can go out in the road and talk on the phone. But there was no text messaging. There wasn't really email. There wasn't sending any pictures. There wasn't any of that stuff. But what's happening is God is revealing technology to help us understand the spirit realm. And now we get to this place where kids don't even know what a wire is. They're like, what is a phone cord? Why is it all wrapped? Why is it all spinny? Why is it all, why is it all wrapped up like that? What is going on? What is that thing? Kids walk into a house like, what is that thing? Because they only know these. But here, this is like, wait a second. I can go anywhere on the planet and have connection. I can go on an airplane and still have connection. I don't have to talk on the phone. I can have FaceTime. I can actually interact face-to-face. I can send pictures. I can send videos. I can receive pictures and videos. God can text me whenever he wants. My phone can go, my heart can go, and I know God's trying to talk to me. Yes, Lord, what are you saying? And I could be anywhere, any place, any time. Technology has helped us discover our relationship with God because it's not just one place and one way. It can happen all over the place. And guess what? Somebody else already paid the bill, so you have connection everywhere, anytime, any place, unlimited data. You have the best data plan of any carrier on earth why because your heart is connected to the holy spirit and you can hear him commune with him any place anytime 
you teach kids about this stuff. Like, look, I don't want to go on God's Instagram and see him hanging out with all his friends and I'm following him. I don't want to just be a follower on God on Jesus's Instagram. I want to be Jesus's friend. I want to be in his selfies, not looking at his selfies. I don't want to just be a follower. Yes, that's important. We become a follower. And then he's like, here, I want to make you a friend. Oh, I'm making my friend. And now we're in selfies. Oh, now we're in videos. Oh, now everyone who's a follower is watching me and Jesus together because we're doing this together. And I'm in his selfies, not just looking at him. Kids love that stuff. It speaks their language. They totally understand it. And they're like, yeah, Pastor Seth, I want to be in Jesus' selfies too. Like, okay, well, he calls you friend. Why? He wants to speak to you face to face. God spoke to Moses like a friend, face to face. Abraham like a friend, face to face. Man, we never got to any questions. I don't apologize, but I kind of do. At the same time, I was wanting to get to questions and answers. I don't know. Sorry. But once I started, that all came out. The last thing I want you to know for children's ministry is, is so object lessons are super important. You always want to ask yourself, what is an object I can use to communicate this? If I'm teaching a lesson, what's the object lesson I can use? How can I connect that invisible thing to something that's tangible, to something that's everyday? So when a kid picks up the phone, they go, oh, I'm connected to God any place, anytime, anywhere. It's already paid. The bill's already paid. I don't have to worry about blowing out my data plan and spending a whole bunch of money. No, I can access him anytime, anyplace, anywhere, because Jesus. Are you with me? I want them to sit down and go, oh, what's the truth? What's the lies? What's the truth? How do I get this out? How do I do it? I want to potty train kids. I want to do all this. Object lessons are super, super important for helping kids understand the kingdom, for helping adults understand the kingdom. That's for sure. The last thing I want you to know is what feeds us feeds them. If I am only studying a lesson to teach it, the worst way to be in children's ministry is study to teach. Here's your lesson. Study to teach it on Sunday. Here's your lesson. Here's your curriculum for the next 13 weeks. Here's your curriculum. Study to teach. Study to teach. Study to teach. Study to teach. Saturday night, everyone's cramming, trying to memorize exactly what they're going to say on Sunday morning because they're studying to teach. If you study to teach, you only repeat information. If you study to become, you break off chunks of your life and you have impartation and transformation. If you want kids to be imparted to and transformed, you have to break off pieces of your life. And the only way that happens is when you study for yourself. Yes, I have to teach this lesson on Sunday, but this lesson is not for me to repeat information and stand up here like I'm reading some paper. I'm not holding the paper, but when I talk, it sounds like I'm reading a paper because I'm staring over here and I'm reading what I looked at last night at 10 o'clock at night. I'm reading it, trying to just repeat information. That's how kids grow up, religious and unchanged. Our job, if we don't want them to just repeat information and memorize it in their head, then we as teachers cannot just repeat information and memorize it in our head. We actually have to study for us. We're not just here to serve, we're here to eat. 
in a restaurant, everyone just serves. Look, the servers, they just serve. They're like, yes, yes, chef, thank you, chef. Here, here's your plate. Oh, here's your plate. Oh, here's your plate. And they don't touch any of it. They just serve it. Here you go. Oh, man, that looks so delicious. That looks great. Wow, that's a great choice. I had it a long time ago. I ate it so long ago. That's a really good one. Here you go. Here you go. Oh, man, that dessert is the best one we've had. Like, I got to try it when the chef first made it. It was so good. But I'm telling you, you'll like that one. If you like coffee, that's the dessert for you. Here you go. But I don't get a spoon and, like, get to eat any of it. You know the chef is back there all the time. The chef is like, not enough salt. Put more salt in it. Ooh, man, come on. Give it some ginger. Oh, here. No, plate it like that because that's the way it looks best. Oh, gosh. You ask the chef. He's like, oh, it tastes like this and this and this. and this. It tastes like you've been to Hawaii and India at the same time. It's fusion. Oh, that's what I did. I, and it's like, no, the chef is back there tasting everything. The chef is back there. He's got the spoon. He's dipping it in everything. The chef knows exactly what the servers are serving because the chef is eating it. The chef is creating it. Our job as teachers is not to just serve the food that someone else served up for us to serve. We're not just servers. We're not waitresses and waiters. We're like little chefs back there snacking with God like, whoa. And someone's like, can you tell me about the righteousness of God? Oh, my gosh, yes. I just had it this morning. It was so delicious. Wow. I'm still so full. That meal will fill you so full. You might not be hungry for a long time because that's a full meal. How do I know? I've been eating it here. Eat it too. Does that make sense? If we study to teach, we're in danger of getting burnt out and tired. If we study for us, we actually release pieces of our lives and we give impartation transformation and we don't burn out why because we're not we're we're still eating if a server never goes on break and eats some of the meals they're gonna end up or never eats at home they're gonna be in trouble and i can i only say that because man let me tell you for four years i studied to teach and it burnt me out and when I went to Bethel, I took a whole year and I did no children's ministry because I realized I have to learn to be with God for me. And I want to learn how to be with God for me so that way when I do teach, it's not just me giving information out. Gosh, that was a lot. I, that was so much, so fast. There you go. Tonight with the kids, we're going to do a whole Bible thing. We're going to talk about encountering God in the Bible. We're going to talk about C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. We're going to talk about, you know, how Lucy was the little kid that found the, um, the wardrobe. And she opens up the wardrobe, and inside the wardrobe is a whole other world. And none of the, none of the older kids believed her. They thought, it's just a wardrobe. There's coats in there. She's like, no, no, there's snow and a, and a witch. And there's people that have the face of a person and the body of a little deer. And, you know, like, she found a whole other world when she opened up the wardrobe. And so we're going to teach kids how to open up the wardrobe and experience God with their heart and read the Bible with their heart. We're going to teach that to everyone tonight, kids and adults. And we're going to experience God in our hearts through the Bible. 
It's going to be awesome. We're going to teach them how to activate their spiritual senses. I'm not going to have to tell them all that, but I'm going to, we're going to teach them how to activate their spiritual senses. But senses get activated when righteousness is in place. The word of righteousness is in place. It's going to be fun. All right, we should pray. Here, put your hands on your hearts, will you? Lord, that was so much. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just put it in hearts. Put it in hearts, God. Help us know our real job. Help us know the good news. Help us, help us walk in our ministry of righteousness, our ministry of the Spirit, our ministry of reconciliation. God, help us study to, to, for us. Help us study for us. Help us connect your invisible world to the visible, to the natural, that kids would, that, yeah, just help us teach them really well. God, help us raise kids, not just who know the Bible, but who know the Bible and the author. God, we want to help kids know you. We want to raise a generation that knows you and your works so they do right in your sight and serve you. We want to raise kids who, when they're old, they don't depart. We want to raise kids who walk in your way. We want to raise kids who have your word hidden in their heart so they don't sin against you. God, we want to raise those kind of kids. We want to be those kind of people. Lord, help us be those kind of people in front of the kids. That's the last thing I want to tell you as we wrap up. Albert Einstein also said, the best teacher is exemplification, setting the example, showing it to kids. You want to teach kids the best, you got to live it. This is for us, not just for them. Lord, help this be just for us too. Help our theology. Lord, help us. Help us theologically live in the covenant you made for us. God, I pray for all these teachers here, all these teachers. I pray that your, um, your spirit would be heavily present in their ministry, heavily present on their words. God, that when they talk, your glory would come out. When they talk, your anointing would come out. God, that you would, you would help them um, as, they, as they study. You would help them as they learn. God, that your anointing would teach them stuff that they then teach to the kids. God, I pray that this house would be one that raises kids who really, really know you, who really, really love you, who really, really just serve you the days of their lives, God, that this house would continue what they've already been doing for so many years, that they'd have more and more stories of kids that grew up here and are super healthy. In worship, I'm just going to tell you now, in worship, I saw a picture of um, crop circles because I know you're, I just saw it. I don't think like this. I don't, I was just sitting here and I saw you know, there's all these cornfields, and you know what those crop circles are? Like, the, you know, like the, where there's like, did aliens come down and design this in the cornfield, and they cut this whole thing out? How'd that come? And people come from all over to look at these crop circles, and they wonder if it's from a different world. And I felt like when I was down here and I saw the picture, I felt like the Lord was saying, 
unusual phenomenon is going to happen here. You are like a crop circle in the middle of a bunch of cornfields. You're like a crop circle right here, and people are going to start coming, and God is putting wonder and curiosity in the people of the region. He's putting a wonder on them, like, I wonder what that is. I wonder what's going on. I saw, like, a light shine down from heaven and start carving out things and creating things and designing things that would cause curiosity and wonder on all the people around, and they're going to start coming here wondering what is going on, wondering if this is from a different world. They're going to come here wondering and curious, is this from some other world? How did this get here? How did this happen? How did this take place? Is this aliens? No, it's not aliens, but kind of. It is from another world. And I'm just, I am giving you prophetic word. I just felt like that's what God is doing here. That's what God is raising here. That's what God, I feel like there's this light just beaming down and it's creating all this stuff that is going to be so unique and so intrinsic and so like, no way someone cut that with a tractor. You can't cut that with a tractor. That had to come from some other world. I feel like this church is going to start pulling people in, that God is pulling people in because they're curious of what's taking place here. And what you have is special. What you have is unique. What you have is intrinsic. I don't even know. I I don't say that word very often. That's the word I keep getting, intrinsic, like detailed. There's details happening here that are going to pull people in to say what in the world caused this. What caused this? God is doing something in this church that people are going to say, what caused this? It can't be something from here. There we go. Lord, do that. Just do it. I just, we agree with you that you're going to start a curiosity. People are going to get so curious because of what they hear from here, what they see here. I feel like people might even come and say, I saw a light shining down or I saw a light on this place. You know how like those places have the lights that are like, and they do all this dancing stuff. I feel like people are going to see a light that's like, and then they're like, what, what is that? That's where we need to go. And they're going to start coming here. Like, I feel like people might even say, I saw like people have come to Bethel and said, I look, it looked like the building was burning. And so we showed up because it looked like we wanted to help. And then there's no fire, but it looks like it's on fire. It's not a natural fire. I feel like people are going to come here and say, I feel like I was drawn here. I feel like I was pulled here. I feel like I was brought here. I, feel, I saw something over here and I just followed the light. That's why I, I think you're going to even get some people who've been dabbling in. I'm just going to keep going. I feel like you're going to get people coming here who've been dabbling in the new age and dabbling in witchcraft and dabbling in stuff. And they're going to start seeing something in the spirit, like aura, whatever they call it. I saw this aura thing over here, da, 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 and I wanted to follow it. And it's so pure and it's so clean. How did it get so clean? Why is it so white? Why is it so not polluted? Why is it so not dilute? Why is it so clean? I feel like new age people are going to start showing up here curious and wondering what's going on. They're, they're, God's going to pull them. God's going to pull them because they're attracted to spiritual light. They're attracted to spiritual reality. They love it. They're open. They're wide open. And they're going to start coming here wondering what in the world is going on. Okay, I think that's my word. If I get more, I'll tell you tonight and I'll tell you tomorrow. Okay? But that's what God is doing. Man, he's doing all the stuff I talked about. Raising up healthy kids so we don't have to repair broken adults. Shining a light on, like, man, come on. Crop circle this church, God. Do crop circles here. 
right smack in the middle of the corn and the soybeans. Like, just make this place an unusual phenomenon that people come to look at and wonder and get curious and get sucked in. God, suck them in. Suck them in. Suck them up. Come on, Jesus. God, I pray that this place would be known for experiences with you. Experiences with you. That's what we're going to do tonight. Experiencing God. Let this church be known for experiences with God and experiences with his works. Your works, God. Okay, in Jesus' name, amen. There. Thank you very much. Um, Call people today, bring them with, pick them up if you have to. Um, uh, We want to receive an offering before we go this morning. Uh, If you want to write our check, you can write it to Destiny Church. Um, Everything you give in the offering will go to Seth's ministry. And so, um, Josh, could you help us pass out envelopes? If you need an envelope, if you're giving cash, um, go ahead and slip up your hand, and um, Josh will give you an offering envelope. And um, those are some awesome bunny trails, weren't they? It was really, really good. Just God knows how to speak to every heart in the room supernaturally. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Seth. Um, Receive that prophetic word. Amen. That was awesome. Uh, Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this um, amazing day and this amazing gift that you've brought to our place. In Jesus' name, God, we just uh, speak blessing and increase over this ministry. In Jesus' name, and God, we thank you for the opportunity to sow into your kingdom. And God, I thank you for rich abundance. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, can pass the offering container and um, see you tonight at 630 and um, look forward to that. Oh, and the service from last night is already on YouTube and on our website. So if you missed it or want someone to have a listen, send them to our website, send them to our YouTube channel, uh, Destiny Church Ashby, Minnesota, and um, they can get caught up before tonight.